Welcome to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward. Today, I am so lucky to be able to sit down and chat with filmmaker, adventurer, cyclist, uh, Maxwell Frost. Um, and we're having him on the show. He's going to talk about his film, which is fantastic. And I probably say it about 80 times in the episode. So, um, Apologies, but I watched this thing and I was blown away. It's an award-winning documentary, adventure documentary uh, called Between Giants. And it documents Maxwell and his friend David's uh, trip across uh, the Himalayas in India. Um, and we'll get into the whole movie and all that. But I want to say right now, uh, the movie's not out right now. Um, it's been shown in all sorts of film festivals like i said it's won a whole bunch of uh, awards all around the country all around the world at this point um it's fantastic and we are lucky enough that maxwell sent us a link to the movie i'm gonna put it in the show notes um it really is a private link um and he's gonna have it available to us and our audience people listening to the podcast uh basically for the next three or four weeks. Um, So if you're listening to this and it's April 2023 or like April, end of April 2023, um, that movie is available to you. So go on, check it out. Um, It is really good. It's, It's really what, in my opinion, it captures what this experience uh must be like and it's very authentic to kind of the chaos of adventure and we talked about this in the episode um and also the beauty that can kind of arise from these unexpected obstacles that are thrown your way um it really is fantastic i'm a huge fan of maxwell and everything he's doing uh and i'm very excited we also talk a little bit about his next film which is called lake bike hell uh about basically traversing this frozen lake in uh siberia so um both those are gonna i mean if the first one you know set up this idea of what this filmmaker is going to be and what this adventure is going to be then the next one also is going to be absolutely stunning so um super excited for the episode you can check out all maxwell stuff at wolfzilla productions uh and he also does a podcast and it's it's very very good it's called choosing fearless so um if you enjoyed the episode you can go check those out but i'm telling you right now stop the episode i'm gonna post it in the show notes the link to between giants it is a really wonderful way it will inspire you to kind of chase the unknown so um pause the podcast right now watch the movie i like i said i highly recommend it and uh i'm excited that he even gave us the link to it to it um to check out so uh yeah go ahead and do that and uh yeah get back in the podcast so uh let's jump into it this is like a bigfoot podcast number 332 with maxwell frost Uh, you have this amazing film called Between Giants, and I am saying this like I was sincerely blown away by watching it. Um, what you were able to put together, the adventure you you went on, um, I I really truly loved the film so much. And uh, yeah, man, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, I appreciate you having me on the show here. This is very exciting, and for the kind words, you know all the work that goes into making a feature film. So it's nice when it it resonates with people in in a meaningful way. Yeah. I have so many like nerdy film questions, but I figured I'd save those till the end uh, and just kind of like dive into like the adventure aspect at the beginning. Um, Can you, I guess if we're talking about Between Giants, you, you just finished your second film, finished like, I don't know if you locked the edit or whatever, but Yep. Picture lock about three weeks ago. That's sweet, man. And so, yeah. uh, But so we can talk about kind of both adventures a little bit, but when it comes to between giants, can you just kind of like give us the summary? Like what was this adventure that you went on? Yeah. So my friend David and I, we reached a point in life where it felt like the bottom had completely dropped out. Uh, Just like a wet paper bag, the whole thing was done. And we weren't really sure what the future was going to look like and we were stuck in the past. We needed this experience that was like equally impactful to move us into this next season of life. And 
Uh, on this trip, it was a two-month bicycle trip in the Himalayas and the northern Indian Himalayas, which is a part that no one ever goes to. There's virgin peaks everywhere, no people. But the people we did meet were phenomenal. And that's really where we experienced the healing that both of us were looking for was through the Indian people that we met along the way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, obviously, I, I think one thing your film does really well is it captures the like grittiness and the ups and downs and the unexpectedness. And I think so often uh, people making adventure films, like when the going gets tough, they forget to actually like get the camera on. And yeah. you guys, you guys captured it all, man. It's always, I learned that the point where you least want to get the camera out is the point where you need to get the camera out. So that is the hardest part. Like life is sucking. It's hard enough to do a trip like this. Yeah. It's a completely different animal to capture it because we did the whole thing ourselves. Most people have whole teams of people yeah. with like support vehicles. <laughs> a lot of people have a dock, they have fixers. And it's just us out there in the middle of nowhere, realizing like I'm in waist deep water, this thing that was quote unquote a road, but more class three white water than a road. And I get to the point where I realize I have no feeling in my fingers or in my toes and that I need to capture the shot, which means I not only have to do that once to set up the camera, but uh -huh. I do it again yeah. to walk back and then a third time to pick up my camera. So it's this moment, like, is it worth losing feeling in my fingers forever to get the shots in my toes? And in that instance, it was. Like, yeah. I need to capture this. Yeah. Because any good storytelling is, it's all about... Um, showing, not telling. Yeah. So if I'm in the film or another story where I talk about how cold it was, the audience would be like, you know what, suck it up. But <laughs> it's a different experience where you try to bring the audience with you into that experience where they can see the cliff falling off and yeah. my bike going horizontal. And I was actually in waist deep water. <laughs> yeah. Um, but hopefully not doing it in a way where I, I didn't want people to feel sorry for us yeah. or... Uh, because one of my biggest pet peeves with films, especially adventure films, is people whining about how hard it is. Because it's kind of like, well, you put yourself in that place. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is self-inflicted pain. Yeah. But it, I did also, like, I didn't want to do that, but I did want to bring people along so they can see these <clears throat> parts of the world that no one goes and these beautiful people that only have electricity from 7 p.m. till whenever the generator runs out of gas. Yeah. These, it's like stepping back in time a thousand years or more and hopefully bringing those stories back and those places back and those people back so others can experience it through us in our, our trip. Yeah, man. I thought it was a really good representation of travel and like not i'm not even backpacking because obviously you guys are riding bikes and and other things uh which which i don't want to spoiler alert the whole movie but um but it was just this like it was a travel adventure endurance like all of those circles meeting each other in the middle and i just yeah man i thought you it's funny because i was going to bring up the freezing cold moment and and just hating life at that point and, and all of that and mm -hmm. i think you did it in a way like you were self-depreciating enough that uh that it wasn't like look at me i feel sorry for myself it's just like hey not all adventures have these peaks like there are valleys and that's what makes this an adventure that's what makes it fun you know yeah a lot of adventure films and films in general are based on the hero's journey and it's focused on how amazing the main character is, how they can overcome all these things and do hard things. And people are tempted to not show the hard parts. Yeah. Um, but I think it's the hard parts and that vulnerability that really brings people in. Yeah. Because we all go through hard stuff in life. It's not foreign to really anyone that hard things happen. Yeah. But it's really, it's, I think people can relate with that. Where if you just tell somebody you did a two-month bicycle trip in the Himalayas, most people don't really have a context for that. It's yeah. like, I can't relate. This is just, it's too far outside of my world. But if you can show people struggling mentally and physically and emotionally and working through hard things on a trip as well as working through things in life yeah. through the trip, um, a lot of people can relate. And hopefully it brings people into the story. And 
um, and hopefully a meaningful way. Because I think about telling stories through um, three different stories simultaneously. There's the physical journey of doing this hard thing. Yeah. But I'm more interested in like the emotional journey that's going on, the thought processes, um, what's going through our heads, what's mentally led to this place, and where do we want to get on the other side of this mentally, physically, as well as philosophically. Like what's the bigger story that everyone can relate to here uh, through this trip, through this experience. And for me, what I was trying to get across was that we have far more in common than we don't. And if we focus on those things, it really makes everything better and life more enjoyable. Yeah. Um, Because we got to share these difficult times and these amazing times with these Indian people in the absolute middle of nowhere with nothing. And they would put us up for days at a time, complete strangers. And one of those instances led to a dance party with 40 dudes, (laughs) apple farmers, and more whiskey than I've ever seen in one location at a time. And it's these beautiful moments, these accidental moments where if you allow yourself to be interrupted, whether it's on a trip or in life by people, it's usually worth it. And that's where the magic happens, I think. Yeah. It's just doing those life, the philosophical idea of we actually have more in common than we don't, which is a story that we don't ever hear through the news, no. media, and definitely not Hollywood. So that's kind of the niche. I'd say that's what I'm more interested in than even classic adventure films yeah. is that space. It's yeah. telling stories that we don't hear anywhere else. Yeah, man. I think like, I mean just hearing you say that and having watched it like i just feel like we have a lot in common a lot of interests like that is a huge part of why we even took ours on too it's like Mm -hmm. let's show like let's be a voice of goodness you know like the world's a great place i i was thinking about this i'm like we hear all the time you hear bad things about this group of people or that group of people and all these bad things are happening and i'm like I hear that all the time and yet I like barely, I've barely seen it. I've seen it mm-hmm. a few times. Like I've seen people be bad a few times and nasty and stuff, but like barely, like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So Absolutely. I'm like, I want to experience it with my own two eyes. And when you get someone sharing something like you did and you are seeing it through your eyes and through your camera lens, like that's powerful. Yeah. I'm glad we had a chance to meet because I felt that in your movie as well. You did a great job highlighting the camaraderie between the runners because it's like we're all in this together. (laughs) That foxhole sort of (laughs) suffering, suffer fest, but we're doing it together and how that's that's really important. And how the people in your film received healing through that too that they were looking for and that community. Um, Yeah, I thought you guys did a great job with that as well. And I also applaud that you didn't just focus on the fastest runners yeah (laughs) but like the every a lot of everyday type people what most people can relate to that aren't the traditional ultra picture that we have in our minds but are interesting humans and are going for it yeah i I just love to see people going for it especially the less likely individuals to do it it's like i've been in the bike industry for a while in the outdoor industry and I go to bike races with our teams and our pro racers in the bike world are more impressed with the people who spent 10 hours in the saddle yes. than them spending two and a half hours in the saddle in that race. Because yeah. that's way more difficult. This weekend warrior who's on their bike once a week does this 100 mile race in 10 hours coming back just bloody it's gonna take them two weeks to recover at work <laughs> they're probably not going to be able to walk stairs for at least a month yeah but they're doing it and how yeah. just how inspiring that is for the pros and everyone else to see people getting after it like that yeah that's why i love endurance races too because everyone res- everyone understands how impressive that is and sticks around for the for the last place person and sometimes they get i mean yeah they get more applause than the first place person because there's more people you know gathered at that point but yeah man dude i love that i want to hear a little bit like we met very briefly in durango um so i didn't really get a full chance to just hear about your your past and and all of that but yeah man can you tell us a little bit like were you always adventurous like how did this all come to be yeah it's it's kind of like a sickness i think (laughs) just like the obsession of 
I don't like boundaries. I, I don't. I don't even like <laughs> using that word. I kind of have allergic reaction to that word. Um, sometimes in a healthy way, sometimes not. But I don't. I don't like putting limits on myself or other people ever. And I'm always curious what's on the other side of what I've already done. Um, so pushing myself mentally as well as physically. I love that space where I'm to the point where I think I can't do more because you can always do more. And in those spaces, that's where you learn the most is where you go beyond what you've done in the past. And um, I have a physical therapist friend and we did some stretching a while back and I'm like, oh, that's tight. That's tight. He stretched my my hammies out. He goes, you realize that's just your body telling you it's too tight. You can go at least 60% more. Wow. And I love thinking and living in that 60% more space yeah. and encouraging other people to do that because it's so easy to just kind of give up on our dreams or things we've thought we might like to do or do and just get comfortable. And I like encouraging others to step out. What are, It's like, yeah, most people shouldn't do a trip in the Himalayas. <laughs> Cause it's a terrible idea. Um, <laughs> I like guess a really, really bad idea, but I love telling people like, what if you just grabbed your bike with a backpack and went to a local camp spot yeah. and just tried that out. Or you've always wanted to go to Yosemite national park. The time is now do yeah. the thing. And I feel like as you incrementally do those things, it just opens up a whole different world. And for me, I had, you talked about how long have I had this sickness. And for, for me, early on in life in middle school, I lost two close friends. And for me, that added an urgency to life, I think that's a fire that's still burning under me yeah. um, on how short life really is. And um, it's, it's one of those things that's terrible. Um, and I'm not glad it happened. And I've mm-hmm. had other things like that happen. Yeah. But you just kind of take what you can learn with it and run with it. And that's one of those lessons that I learned early on that it's just the urgency of life is so important. I even have this memento mori necklace, mm-hmm. um, which is a stoic um, thought. What do they call them? Thought exercise. Yeah. But it's basically that you could leave earth or you could leave life today. And I have a really weird, weird one that I do. And I, yeah. it's, it's never like it wasn't intentional, but I actually realized and it almost sounds like I don't know, it almost sounds like too dark or whatever. But this is it helps me in some moments when I get stressed where I'm just like, hey, like, let's if this was my last like one minute on Earth, like, what would I appreciate right now? And then I start thinking about it. I'm like, I would appreciate literally everything, like yeah. the way my shoe feels against my foot. I would appreciate that the way this air kind of smells when you're breathing in and the nose hairs tickle you like it just it brings me back to the moment where I start thinking like if if I only had a minute left what would I really notice as miracles Mm -hmm. you know what I mean yeah yeah just being able to walk in the morning yeah like to get out of bed I try I don't do it every morning but I try to start with gratitude in the morning where my first two steps out of bed are thank you Nice. Like just starting with gratitude because that shapes and changes everything. All of a sudden your coffee tastes better. You're thankful for warm water that doesn't have some nasty disease in it. And yeah. you have both shampoo and conditioner, which most of the world doesn't have, let alone running water with heat. Yeah. And I'm brushing my teeth and I can afford t- toothpaste. And awesome. I have floss as well. I can afford that. And it just it shapes how you see your life more than anything else. And I think, yeah, like you said, some people think that they, I tell them that, that you can leave life today. And they're like, Oh, that's gruesome. I go, (laughs) I I don't really see it that way. I'm like, it helps me not only be present, but grateful. And I feel like living a bigger and bolder life than I would otherwise. Like my biggest fear. So I have a podcast on fear and anxiety and I often talk about how my biggest fear is being on my deathbed and wishing I would have done the things that I wanted to do. Yeah. And I don't want to get to that place. I want to do those things. Yeah. What's your podcast? It's called Choosing Fearless. That's right. I'm 
Uh, I haven't listened to I'm about to jump in because I'm pretty sure I figured it out and started like Instagram stalking you and being like, oh, he does a podcast. And I just couldn't remember the name of it. Sweet. Okay. Yeah, man, dude. That's yeah. I think it's just it's the constant reminders. And I think going on an adventure or going out into the unknown like you did is something that reminds us of those lessons. Um, And it's it's why I'm so passionate about wanting to support people doing this stuff, you know? Yeah. I, um, yeah, I can't really imagine life without the adventure thing, whether it's micro adventures or bigger ones. Yeah. Um, it just helps me get in a good healthy headspace as well as physically in a good space. And for me, it's processing a lot of the micro adventures, like my daily hike I go on or bike ride. Um, because there's so much noise and distractions and so many other things going on in the world, um, begging for our attention and demanding our attention. I mean, I'm in marketing, so I'm partly to blame for that. Sorry, people. But I, uh, I try to tell stories and hopefully encourage people through those, through marketing as well and educational yeah. content, because it's easy to do the FOMO thing. And I think I don't want to put any more fear in the world yeah at all but yeah, yeah like you're saying it's fun to meet other people that do adventures and do hard things outside like yourself and a lot of people are just processing through things yeah like, that's how they do it and that's how i do it and i think we we share that as well yeah i think uh i want to hear what because so choosing fearless not only a podcast but almost like a mantra right like you mm. you head out like there's so many things to be scared of in the himalayas yeah. um can Everything is so many walk, ways to die. Yeah. Walk <laughs> us through all the things you can be aware uh scared of. Go. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do we have another hour? But there's like <laughs> rock falls and like yeah. obviously like oil spills in the road and all of this stuff. And mm-hmm. like what gave you the strength and the bravery? Because I'm sure, like, even with that mindset, when you first show up in India, it has to be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And you have to be almost like taken aback. Yeah. If anyone tells you their first trip to India, they enjoyed it. They're lying. <laughs> they're, they're flat out lying. I mean, it's, 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 it's such an assault on your senses. Yeah. Your yeah. smells, the sounds, the lights, the colors. Like the first time I was there, there was a dead body on the sidewalk. And I tried to flag someone down to use their phone, but no one would let me use their phone. And the tuk-tuks are, there's like, armies of tuk-tuks these three-wheel vehicles the home like are always honking because they don't use blinkers it's just a lot um but once you get out of the city into the himalayas that's when you that's such a beautiful and really special place but yeah like you said there's a lot of a lot of things that make it challenging rock falls being one of them the signs don't say rock falls they say rocks shooting because they're coming down from so high. Oh they, my God. I didn't even think about that. They are like horizontal coming at you. Um, and a lot of them at a time, we had a couple near misses. The guy, David, I was with was yeah. on a bus after he had an injury. He was hopping buses and hitchhiking and got a horse and other stuff. <laughs> but at one point he's on a bus that has to stop for a rock fall. The people would rock walk over the rock fall to another bus. And while they're walking over the rock fall, people start screaming and panicking because there are Honda sized rocks now falling in front of that bus and behind it. So people are just freaking out. So like rock falls is one thing. Yeah. So you don't want to get smashed in the head, but you also that can close off your route quickly. Mm. And we had a couple rock falls that slowed us down. And there's a very small window to do this trip. Um, it's about two and a half months or so because it's either too hot in the summer where the sun's going to melt your face because you're yeah. so close to it or the other end of it where they get snowed in for six to seven months at a time. So these rock falls, it's this constant navigation, finding out locally with people coming through. Is the road open? Is it not? Do you know when it's going to be open? Can we crawl around it? And the thing with rock slides, um, it's not really like avalanches where it happens, it sets. Rock falls, like it's still really loose. 
So even if you can walk over it, it's super sketch. And that means that area could happen again, like on the bus thing. Um, and there's also, there's roads that are actually called the most treacherous road in the world. Wow. Uh, because of rock falls, because of road just dropping out, because of flash flooding, because of like, if the rain comes, it could turn into a waterfall really yeah. quick. Yeah. Like I showed in one point in the film, but we didn't want to focus on the hard stuff. Yeah. The bad stuff. Cause I think when you focus on hard things, it always makes it way worse yeah. than it needs to be. Cause so much of the hard things and struggles in our life are just in our heads. Yeah. Like 90% of it's in our heads. So it's that gratitude thing again, being like, thank you that that rock fall didn't kill me. Yeah. Um, thank you that I can walk over this rock fall. Thank you that I can fill my water bottles up because it's hot as hell. And I was looking on a map and that river is like two miles down. So I can't use it to get water before. Yeah. Um, and these people would bring us in for tea and just thank you for these people and who are so happy and kind. We don't share language or their major religion or location or understanding of life at all, but just awkward smiles and hand gestures yeah. go so far and lead to so many cool places like spending a week with this family in the middle of nowhere uh, as we're trying to find these horsemen to finish the trip because the trail is too small and they put us up for about a week and a half fed us gave us tea and wouldn't let us pay them yeah um and i think as you develop gratitude you begin looking for those things looking for the magic yeah and um i try to bring that back to normal life as well because if you're not looking for it, you don't expect it. It's never yeah. going to happen. Well, I was wondering, so as it was kind of funny, as you were describing all the hardships of the Himalayas and all the scary things that could happen, I could feel myself starting to get anxious. Mm -hmm. And and I'm just really curious, like, is it almost like the chaos that you can you face out there like you have to adapt that mindset because you can't live in that mindset for two months straight you know no no you can do it for a day or two live in complete survival mode yeah uh, but then your body starts to shut down from the adrenaline um you start you crash really really hard so you either develop that mindset or you die yeah so the, the i mean the stakes are pretty high to yeah to do that because no one's coming to help. Um, yeah. So I, I enjoy that sort of minds that challenge. Um, and I mean, this isn't the first hard trip I've been on outside and you, it's like a muscle. You just develop it over time. You do enough bicep reps, curls, you get bigger biceps. Yeah. And it's the same thing mentally when you do hard things um, and you expect hard things to happen. That's another part of it. One of the laws of mountaineering is expect to get lost. Yeah. So it's that mindset where when the thing happens, if you get lost, you're like, oh, yeah, it's going to happen. That's actually part of the thing. <clears throat> where you go on expeditions, things are really going to go wrong, um, probably often when you're in doing hard things. And uh, when you expect that, it hits different than letting yourself being surprised by it. So. Yeah. Uh, that, I think that's part of it as well as knowing, okay, we're doing this, this thing where that people don't do and it, it's hard and you can't plan for everything yeah. um, ever just in life in general. So just knowing that I feel like it makes it much more digestible to the point where it's not completely overwhelming all the time. Yeah. It's the flexibility adaptability piece that you kind of develop. Yeah. And you need to be able to roll with it. So yeah. David, the guy I did this trip yeah, with, yeah, he, uh, he, uh, he I felt so bad the whole movie. Well, I, like I said, no spoiler alerts, but David goes through it. David goes through it during the adventure. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just a little snapshot. Day one of 60, um, breaks his chain twice. He gets a couple flats. He's is jacked up. So he only has a few gears in the biggest mountains in the world. Uh, and then his knee completely gives out on him on day one. So that's just kind of a little snapshot of his experience. But that's also why I wanted him to go on this trip is because in the Himalayas, you need to be able to roll with it. That's mm -hmm. like your number one skill set. And that's what's going to keep you alive is being able to roll with it and then keep rolling with it. 
And yeah. David can do that like a champ, better than most other people on the planet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's totally something that comes across for sure. I wanted to ask you about, um, and I'm going to say his name wrong, but your friend, so maybe I'll just let you say it. Your friend who, uh, you know, kind of, yeah, Tori kind of gave you the idea. Uh, you mentioned that he's probably cycled more in the Himalayas than pretty much anybody. Can you kind of like, like talk a little bit about him and what that meant to like, kind of have him as a mentor on this? Yeah, Tor is amazing. He he for sure has biked more in the Himalayas than anyone else. Years at a time. Uh, and this trip would not have happened without Tor. Because these are this isn't like something you just Google or you <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or talk to someone who's done it. It's um I was just super lucky that I actually knew Tor and met him. Totally random met in Denver probably like twelve years ago now. He is the neighbor to one of my friends and he started talking about traveling the world by bike. And this guy's been, he's Danish. So he has a Danish passport, which means he can go to all the stands that we can't here in the U S like yeah. Pakistan, Afghanistan, all of the best mountains in the world. Yeah. And then he's talking about the Himalayas for years. We're drinking beer, hearing all these stories. And I'm like, I got to bike the Himalayas. Yeah. Cause I always think about what's the unique position I'm in, the people I know, the things I have, the things I've done, like how does the lineups in a way that no one else could tell the story in this way or do the thing this way. And I felt like all these things were happening. So I, I had to do it. Like I actually needed to bike in the Himalayas and tour before I met tour, I'd never done a bike trip. And the beauty of a bike trip is you can cover a lot of ground and you meet a ton of people. So yeah. a car, you have a windshield yeah. where there's a separation between you and other people. And it's very much about getting from point A to point B. Where a bike, you're in the moment. You're feeling it, you're smelling it, you're hearing it, you're seeing those waterfalls. You're high-fiving these little kids that yeah. their parents invite you in for meals. And my favorite experience on these trips is getting invited in and seeing the, the culture and the people in the place through the local people that bring you to these places you can't find online. Yeah, It's that special experience of just doing life together. Yeah. And Tor introduced me to this way of traveling and then the Himalayas. And I positioned him as the guru in the film because he is. Like yeah. he is the expert on biking and the Himalayas, which is awesome because I would have never discovered any of the stuff or a lot of the stuff on my own because it's like random roads with no signs in the Himalayas, yeah. like right here <laughs> type of experiences. So yeah, Tor is a huge part and he's got a lot of films. He's written a lot of books and he's in the Adventures Club in Denmark, which is the equivalent of the Explorers Club in the US. Dude, just all yeah. the most badass explorers on the planet what was was there like one i mean i'm sure there's a billion but was there one piece of advice that really like stuck out or was surprising to you yeah uh the one piece of advice that i felt like was probably our favorite part of the trip and an important part of the story was biking along like tibet Kashmir, pakistan and back there's a tiny little section that you can't travel by bike because like a foot wide and it's sheer cliff on the other side. Yeah. No cars go back there. Everything they have back there <clears throat> is brought there by horses middle of nowhere. And to complete that loop, uh, we had to get a couple of horsemen mm. <laughs> to put all of our stuff on the horses and then the horsemen to bring us there and then bring his horses back. Which is, I think, one of my favorite parts of the whole trip. Yeah. It's this untouched Virgin Peak Himalaya section that was absolutely stunning. And it would have never happened without Tor having been to that random end of the road town that has a bridge <laughs> made yeah. by twigs. I think they said a few twigs and rocks is <laughs> how they built the bridge. <laughs> so it's just knowing about those things. And I think that's the coolest part about travel in general, even if it's like, uh, stuff that's not maybe as scary like in Europe, you st still meet people in hostels that tell you about all the best local spots. And that's just part of traveling. And one of my favorite parts about traveling is sharing those spots with other people as well as learning them from other people. Yeah. And Tor is a gold mine of those random spots that you wouldn't know of otherwise. Yeah. And a dear friend. Um, like we do holidays together. 
Um, I've known his kids since they were young and yeah, just a special human and family. That's awesome, man. I, I had to ask because you mentioned Kashmir and you traveled through it. Did Led Zeppelin nail it in their song? I'm like, did they nail it? Or are you like, Led Zeppelin, you've never been to Kashmir. Come on. Oh, no. I don't know the classic rock. I don't ah, know moral genre at all. No Can word. you sing it for me? Yeah. I don't know. I don't oh, know the yeah. words. Yep. It's all about yeah. being in a desert. And I'm like, oh, I did. But then I'm like, wait a second. Are they just looking at pictures or have they actually been there? That's my thing. You it's, know? A, it's a wild place. It's actually <laughs> the highest militarized area in the world. Um, the closest we've been to nuclear war since Hiroshima back in 99. So it's, it's intense. Yeah. Uh, that's is that a, in it, your mind as you're biking through like, and how do yeah. you handle that? Yeah. So it's not, I think Tor says most places you can go in the world and just bike around and everything will be peachy and how this part of the world is not that he's um, like, Hey, just so you know, time to, yeah. Yeah. When he says you should pay attention, that's that's like, um, you should do that. Yeah. And it was a lot of research because we didn't want to be dumb Americans that end up getting killed in a stupid place we shouldn't be. Um, so I did a lot of research, talked to Tor about it quite a bit. And at that point in the trip, I'm biking alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I have this instance where a guy's in a truck and slams on his brakes coming at me. <clears throat> like to, <clears throat> to the point where the car behind him near re nearly rear-ended him. <clears throat> Sorry, got a little sip here. Yeah, no worries. Build a little suspense. <laughs> this was a very like, yeah, I want to hear this story <clears throat> for sure. Yeah, so I'm biking, biking, biking. I'm trying to be aware. Like I'm looking at Pakistan. It's on the left side of the road. Thinking, okay. Uh, <laughs> Here yeah. we go. This yeah. is the spot I've been thinking about because there's like mentally challenging areas I know that would be mentally challenging. Other areas yeah. like physically challenging. Yeah. This is like politically challenging yeah. <clears throat> where they're, they could be hunting people from North America. Like yeah. that's where the bad guys. Yeah. And some for some good reasons. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Bombing schools and American drones doing things where that's. We don't hear about in the West, but happened. Yeah. anyway, so biking on the road, this truck slams on their brakes <laughs> as he's coming at me in full, like full turban, full on beard. And he goes, where are you from? Yeah. I'm like, oh man, as the words are coming out of my mouth, I'm thinking, I want to bring them back in because I say <laughs> USA. And I'm, as I'm saying, I'm thinking, no, 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 no. USA he goes, where are you from? And I'm like, I can't change it. I told him <laughs> once. <laughs> wait <USA>. sorry <laughs> uh, actually no canada sorry canada and yes i'm going to the next town i said yeah yes because there's no other town for days so of course i'm going to the next town yeah yeah so i'm thinking in my head like does that mean someone's gonna meet me there or they yeah. meet me along the way you're like what does that, this mean what did that mean to that guy what did this mean yeah, to me like yeah like, why did he need to know bad enough to almost get in a car accident yeah to know that i'm from the u.s and like I'm, I'm exposed at that point. Yeah. But I always try to think of the best in people and yeah. thinking maybe, maybe he's just curious where I'm going. Yeah. <laughs> but from then on out, I was Canadian. <laughs> like, normally I've got a Canadian pin and a patch and the yeah. whole thing, but I didn't on this trip. Well, so I, yeah, it's like the test of like, I want to think of the best in people and now I'm being tested. Like this is like, the representation of that and you're like okay i'm being tested and what's going to happen and that's kind of intense for sure yeah and I, this whole trip was being tested so it was being tested in a different kind of way that i knew would happen at, probably at some point and i just try to think about life the best of people in life in general because most people really are good yeah. like the vast majority of people <clears throat> And I'm yeah. sure this guy's one of them and nothing happened. I just changed my citizenship temporarily to yeah. Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Because no, no one hates the Canadians. <laughs> it's because of hockey and ketchup potato chips. Yeah. Yep. I don't know if you ever had them. Don't uh, yep. hate on them. They're good. They're super good. They also have, yeah, they have a lot of different types of chips. Like I had a beef chip there once. It's <laughs> a little weird. But they've got those in Mexico too, I guess. Uh, yeah. And they love their canadian bowling with those tiny little balls yeah 
Yeah. Labatt's blue. Labatt's blue. That's all you got to know. <laughs> that's, uh, that's what they love. I want to hear uh, just about the open road concept. Like being on the open road is this uh, like poetic. It's it's something that's kind of like embedded in our culture as free, like almost like freedom. Like you're on the open road and you're you can go wherever you want to go and see whatever you want to see. Like mm-hmm. what? how is that for you like not just the poetic version but the like reality version of that yeah so kerouac really romanticized it for a lot of people yeah um and i I think it's awesome like he talks about that free spirit the curiosity that i I value so much um in such a beautiful way but it's not always beautiful when you're doing it. Yeah. It's like, um, so like for instance, I was living in Southern California until recently. And a lot of people like the idea of camping more than actually camping. I realized a lot more. So it's this idea where I think most people like it's wired in us to that curiosity, that, exploration that wondering about other people other places which is why which is what i try to tap into with my films and my stories because most of us have that yeah it's just for whatever reason maybe something bad happened at one point and people step back or maybe they haven't had the opportunity or the financial they haven't been financially able to do it or don't know anyone who does it or couldn't afford gear so they got a cheap version of a tent and just got soaked one night and nearly froze and you're like you know what screw that this is dumb like there's so many different things and barriers that can happen whether it's financially experientially socioeconomically whatever it is to do the thing that i think we're all wired for but i'm not sure that that curiosity maybe it goes away i don't know other people experience it different ways yeah. in life. Um, but I experience it through going to these places that I just meet people and try to bring those stories back in these beautiful places and bring those stories back because I think it really is in most people. Yeah. It might be more buried in others than what I'm experiencing, but I really think it is all there. And that's that extra 60% I was talking about. Like it's hard to do that thing because yeah. it hurts. Yeah. And it might hurt for days or weeks or months at a time, but I feel like anything worthwhile is hard. Yeah. So that's kind of how I think about it. And I think most people really do deep down want that too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I really, I, I wanted to ask a couple of filmmaking questions, but before we do that, I want to hear a little bit about your next film, Lake Bike Hell, which is, which I didn't put it together because I'm an idiot. But then I was uh, talking to this guy. He's like, oh, I bet he biked Lake Bikehole or, or what you, however you say it. And I'm like, that is a genius title, Lake Bike Hell. <laughs> Are you kidding me? But, uh, but yeah, man, I want to hear a bit about that. So that's the second project, mm-hmm. um, the, the next film. Uh, can you just talk real quick? I haven't seen any of it. I've seen the trailer. You guys are dancing shirtless in the snow. It's awesome. I loved it. I loved it so much. I was like, this is going to be amazing. But, uh, but yeah, tell yeah. me about that and kind of like, how was, it, how was the experience similar and how was it, how did it stand out as something different? Yeah. Thanks, man. Uh, so another bad idea. which are often my favorite but yeah so this one similar in that it's biking in a hard place this one is in siberia on lake baikal which is the biggest lake in the world by volume it's got more water in that lake than all the great lakes combined and it's 450 miles from the north end to the south end and we did it in the winter because there's this snow road that happens because it's way faster for people to bike or to um, drive on the lake than take the road way inland and back around again. That makes sense. So uh, I spent a lot of years in Minnesota biking on ice and snow. And for me, my favorite temperature to bike in is around 30 degrees because I love how invigorating and how lively it is and you're not sweating really. And it's this biking through snow is I love it. I just love playing in snow in general and biking through it. Part of it feeling like this is really wrong. And the other part being like, 
but it's so perfect. <laughs> and then you add a layer of thin ice under it and the difficulty level goes way up. Yeah. So there is nothing more difficult to bike on than fresh snow on a glare ice lake. Yeah. So part of that challenge was interesting physically because I've been biking on snow and ice for years and I love that and I love that challenge. But the you also have the average temperature of negative 10 degrees Fahrenheit below zero. So I spent a lot of time in cold places doing cold things in Minnesota. And it was also this moment where I felt like all of my experiences were leading up to this point, skill sets of sustained travel in cold places for days at a time, camping in 20 below, uh, being active because it's this meditative state where you can't sweat yeah. because you sweat, you freeze, you freeze, you die. Yeah. And just like the Himalayas in Siberia, there is no safety net. Yeah. If someone comes uh, after our mayday call on a satellite phone, it's to retrieve bodies. So it's similar to the Himalayas where the stakes are high. And it's also similar in that there's these people, these cultures that no one knows anything about that are just so beautiful and historic. Like if you ever hear, most people that I've talked to like Siberia, is that like a real place? It's kind of like Timbuktu where people are like, is that just a phrase? Or, like, yeah, it's yeah. a place. Yeah. But if people do know about it, it's the concentration camps. Mm. Uh, that Stal I don't think they're technically concentration camps, but the genocide that happened yeah. through Stalin's camps in Siberia. Yeah. Because if you go to Siberia, like you're gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It's forced labor camps. So like that's what it's known for. Yeah. But I love kind of changing the story, changing yeah. the narrative in a way that I hope we were able to do with this film. Yeah. Because the same thing in Hollywood, like Russia is always the bad guys. Yeah. Always. And we don't ever hear stories of media and all these amazing protests where people are risking their lives against yeah. this war. Yeah. Like protesting in the U.S. is different than Russia. Yeah. Because if you protest something, like you could disappear yeah. and your family could disappear. Yeah. So I wanted to tell a different story of the Russian people that we met that were absolutely fantastic. Yeah came to our rescue time and time and time again. There's this uh, woman who was a, we called our Russian grandma or babushka <clears throat> who literally saved our lives, not only once, but twice Wow! on this trip. And hopefully I can share those stories in a way that's respectful for the culture and the people in a story that we don't ever hear. In yeah. The West. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to hear because just like, you know, just like you said, like 90%, 90, whatever, whatever the percent is, people are good. People don't mm -hmm. want to harm other people. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes governments get it twisted, uh, you know, as as they tend to do. And I'm not smart enough to even talk about why that is or, or any of that, you know, but, yeah. but when you talk face to face to a human being, most of the time you're getting the goodness out of them. You know. Yeah, for sure. And often the people look nothing like their their government or the person yeah. in charge, especially in a place like Russia, where if you his opponents have a interesting way of disappearing. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah, the people are even yeah, even in places like Russia, who's always the bad guys in our stories from the West, this isn't true. Yeah. Like almost everyone we met was incredibly kind and hospitable yeah. and like we're crazy generous, even like this. We found a pizza place at one point and we just stayed there for three days eating. That's <laughs> what you should do. If you find a pizza place in the middle of nowhere, you should stay there. Because <laughs> up to that point, it had been like frozen fish and dry bread. Um, actually, at that point, but leading up to that, it was just Snickers bars and vodka. So <laughs> fi finding pizza, we just stayed there, Nate. We had to catch up on calories for weeks at that point. But this um, guy, he, he closed his pizza shop because we wanted to go to a sauna. He's like, you got to do the sauna, the Russian yeah. sauna. It's like, it's a thing you got to do. Yeah. So we're like, oh, great. And he starts running directions and it's like, all these different rights and lefts and transferring buses. <laughs> and uh, we're like, we're for sure going to get lost. So he actually closes his pizza shop and drives us to the sauna, <laughs> goes back, opens a shop, 
comes back two hours later, closes the shop again so you pick us up <laughs> and drive us back. <laughs> like that's just that's our experience. Yeah. You is there it? is there anything about like an extreme environment like you've traveled through that you think kind of brings out this inherent like I have to help people quality in others? It could be a part of it for sure. Yeah. But I've experienced that a lot of other places where it wasn't life yeah. or death. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, that probably is part of it. People are like, these people, his beard is one chunk of ice. <laughs> he looks like he's dying. I should probably help. So that's part of it. Yeah. But I've also experienced that in places like more traveled places, like all over Europe, same experience, yeah. the UK, even like Mexico on yeah. motorcycle trips recently. There is that, <clears throat> I think it's probably different if you look for things to be scary. Yeah. Um, Cause they're there wherever you go. I mean, that, yeah. that happens in Denver. There's, if you're looking for things that are scary, you can find them. Yep, but for I think sure. if you're open to finding the gems and the, the beauty and the story and you're open to that, I feel like it happens more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I want to ask some nerdy filmmaker questions real quick to wrap up. Yeah, uh, shoot. One, for both films, what do you, th and people have asked me this and I'm like, I legitimately have no idea. I watched all the footage, but people are like, how many hours of footage did you have to go through? But for you guys, you did two months, like how many hours and, and how did you figure out what the story was like as you were chopping away at it? Yeah, that is the hardest part. Editing. Yeah. At least they say at least 50% of the story is told in the editing room. And that's true. Uh, to the point where it hurts my um <clears throat> my two favorite scenes in the whole between giants himalayas film never made the final cut and it you just have to be ruthless yeah it ha every second has to serve the main narrative every second yeah because it's hard enough to keep someone's attention for a 15 second TikTok video <laughs> so an hour and a half is a huge ask a huge, huge, yeah. huge ask. Yeah. And time is our most important resource. And I feel like it's disrespectful for me being yeah. a director, producer, editor, wasting people's time. Yeah. Even when it means putting my ego aside, my favorite scenes, when it doesn't serve the main narrative. Yeah. And I think it's disrespectful for me to waste people's time. So that's the mindset I go into when I'm in the editing room. I mean, there is pre-production, so I've mapped out the story meant, uh, emotionally, physically, and philosophically, how I think it might go. But as you know, like, it's always different in the end. Like, when you yeah. get the footage, <laughs> like, you need the structure to get to the place where you realize you don't need the structure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's part of the process. It's yeah. part of it. And if you're not open to that, to holding your structure open-handed you're gonna have a terrible story because like the magic happens in the moment in the story in the risk-taking in a way you can't plan for and it's like what i've been talking about the magic happens in those moments and you can't structure those you can't plan for them but you need to create space for them for instance, our first day, everything went wrong, but it turned into a dance party with 40 apple farmers in this loading dock bay with whiskey for days, <laughs> dancing to Indian music, which I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's not 4-4. Four -four. So it's a lot of flailing of arms yeah, and yeah. like, I don't even know how to dance to it, but enough whiskey, you can dance to anything. You can anything. dance to anything. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's but my was theory this... at weddings. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a good one and it works. But it's in my head as a storyteller is, oh man, we've got 60 more days. Can we really spend two extra days as soon as we start with these apple farmers? Yeah. Like logistically, my Western mindset is like, we don't have time for this. We don't have yeah. space for this. And that's the director mindset. You kind of have to tell, tell the shut up every once in a while. Yeah and just create space for the story to happen. Yeah. And in the end, I used, I had to, 
I tried to position India as the hero of the story, the yeah. Indian people. That was important for me. That's how I started, and that's how I tried to tell the story. So there are parts that are foundational in how you tell it. And that was one part that I brought through. And the three-act play, how you need to grow in intensity each act before you slide back into a resolution. Mm -hmm. Where you end is also where you bring the story back to. So there's little things that storytelling... I mean, the hero's journey has been around for thousands of years. And it's 80% of films in Hollywood. So there is something to that general structure. Yeah. So you need to understand it before you can make it your own. But in the end, it's figuring out the narrative, what it is as you're doing it, and then mostly in the editing room and yeah. just being ruthless in yeah. the editing room. I was like crying some of the stuff I left on the floor. Um, but that works for marketing content later, yeah. teasers. So And you have it. That's my thing. I'm like, we cut stuff too. I'm like, well, I have it. I saw it and I enjoyed it but i understand why it didn't fit you know yeah um, and yeah. if netflix is listening we can make it into episodes as well come on netflix <laughs> man i've watched some adventure films on netflix and i was truly blown away by yours and i was like it belongs on something like that you know what i mean uh it was it was absolutely fantastic um and i can't wait till it's out i will like send it to everybody I know who's who's an adventurer because like I said I think you you were able to capture this like kind of grittiness and realness um that that some of them some of them kind of I don't for whatever reason yours just felt really authentic to what an adventure like that is you know thanks man appreciate it yeah people can you let people know like where they can follow your journeys and follow your adventures and and check out your your future films yeah for sure uh instagram's the best place and my production company is called wolfzilla awesome productions <laughs> so if you go to instagram at wolfzilla productions you'll find this and i'm gonna start talking more about the Lake Bike Health film. We just finished up the last festival in Durango for the US after a year. We've got one more in Copenhagen, if you're listening from Copenhagen this summer, but uh, hopefully we'll jump on the film festival with this next one, film festivals in this coming year with Lake Bike Health. Who knows? We'll see. Awesome, man. That's so perfect. Yeah, dude. Wolfzilla, great name. Fantastic. Uh, love it. But dude, I absolutely loved meeting you. I'm so glad our paths crossed. And yeah, man, I can't wait to to just be a fan from here on. So <laughs> sounds good. Yeah, it's hanging Denver one of these days. Be Heck fun. yeah, dude. Yeah, man. All right. That wraps up this week's podcast. Um, huge thanks to Maxwell for coming on. And even bigger thanks for sharing his film with us. Uh, like I said, I'm posting the link in the show notes here and I am watching it again. Uh, I'm going to watch it again during my workout um, tomorrow morning, uh, probably before I even post this episode um, because I really enjoyed it that much. So highly recommend it. Between Giants, um, like I said in the intro, it is about kind of the chaos of a major adventure like this in a place that is foreign to you. And it's also about the beauty that comes from that chaos and really the kind of connections that you can make and and how you can open up your eyes to the world through travel, um, which is awesome. And it's something I aspire to. So really like Maxwell, I, I, I do look up to him for having this kind of um, kind of see what's what's around the corner kind of attitude about experiencing one of these adventures super cool plus there's a horse named bicycle which should be like the name of a song or something you know what i mean like horse named bicycle that's just that's just cool that's a cool phrase um so so yeah so check that out and uh thank you all for listening to this week's episode uh, i have some amazing podcasts already recorded that will be coming out in the next few weeks and then i'm getting to my summer um last summer i took the uh kind of the two months off of recording podcasts to kind of open up my schedule i'm not planning on doing that this year um and i'm kind of hoping i will with it being summer and me being a teacher i'll have a little more flexibility 
in time and I can um, start reaching out to more and more folks and, and things like that. So I'm super excited to be to be taking this on through the summer and I'm really excited to see where this project goes, you know, where uh, the podcast takes me next. So um, thank you all for listening. Uh, and that's it. Let's get back to you next week.